thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Okay, so we played the Resident Evil 4 remake. It's out. Um, I'm going to be responsible and just say ahead of time, we're probably going to do like five episodes on it. Yay. Um, and so... I get paid per episode per listen, everyone. It's true. It's called a royalty splits. And yeah, I get one sixteenth of a Dogecoin. Oh, yeah, for sure. I only deal in that that you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. Uh, I call it Doge. <laughs> Doggy. <laughs> Doggy coin. Um, yeah, so I know, you know, Resident Evil 8 came out and we did a lot of hours on it and then I had to kind of carve it up later. And it wasn't a terrible experience, but it wasn't also like the coolest thing ever. So I was like, hey, <laughs> let's just plan on doing a few episodes ahead of time. We'll organize it a little bit. Kind of, it'll be easier because we're not recording like marathons and it'll be a little more focused in terms of the conversation. So... Today, I thought for the first one, um, it would be cool to talk about what's different in the remake. Because I I started this series, I'm only a couple episodes in, where I'm talking about comparing the original versions of Resident Evil games to the remakes. And, you know, the one I did for Resident Evil 4, it wasn't really that because the game wasn't out yet, but I just kind of wanted to redo that Resident Evil 4 episode because I hated the original and I ended up deleting it. Mm Um, which, you know, should shock no one at all. Can't delete it from my fucking memory banks, though. I got it forever. I'm going to bootleg it. Sorry, you're just going to get on the mic and do all the voices? What's the movie where they have, where you you can do that, right? You can, like, fabricate memories and put them in people's heads? Is that Total Recall? Yeah. Okay, just checking. (laughs) Um, Or the opposite is Eternal Sunshine. All right. And then... The one where they remade movies from memory was, um, you know, with Jack Black. What was that one? Oh, Be Kind Rewind? Be Kind Rewind. God, most F and Jack Black. That's, you know, that's a classic, I that's think. That's a good movie. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a long ass time, but I'm going to go ahead and stamp it with the classic. Yeah, no, that's a good movie. I mean, I was just imagining you recreating the episode in that style, the sweeted style. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, so, yeah, today. Let's talk about what's different in this new remake. Obviously, there's going to be some opinions um, and there's going to be some discussions, but I just thought it'd be an interesting way to kind of structure the topic and approach this game because, you know, like I alluded to in the last episode, this Resident Evil 4 remake is very, very interesting to me because I think it's, it's a pretty even mix of stuff that's like radically different and stuff that they just haven't changed at all and stuff that's like 50-50, a mix between the two. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think really in terms of feel, they've really nailed what the original game was and what it was going for. And I even think personally to the point where they actually could have changed more. Um, there's some stuff that I wouldn't have minded them kind of going yeah. in on. 
um, yeah, a, I feel a little harder. Uh, and I know that's probably the maybe a hot take for a lot of people, but there were definitely moments where I was like, eh, you could have done something cooler with this. But it is obviously fucking great. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, it'll come up throughout the episode, but like it rocks a lot, which is. Yeah, awesome. I don't think um, I don't think there is anything that they changed that I was like, I miss the old one. Right. Like, I, I just don't think I've got one. I think in all the ways that matter, they they kept all the stuff that you kind of remember fondly about that game. Right. And like, you know, I when I like hit a point that's changed, I usually remember what was different in the original game, at least yeah. for the most part. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a single thing that I'm like, oh, yeah, well, for sure. Because I think that like, you know, like I was talking about in the solo episode I did. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needed to be changed, like cut, changed, rewritten, uh, mostly, you know, thinking about the story, uh, that like is just so bad in the original. There's no other word for it. It's just fucking bad, dude. And the changes they made are really great. And then when you get into like level design, gameplay, that kind of stuff, that's where Mm -hmm. it gets a little... I mean, I don't know if murky is the right word, but there is definitely some room for discussion in terms of like, okay, what what did this do to the game? What did this do okay, to the okay. flow, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you're the expert here. I mean, you've definitely played it more than me. I've certainly played Resident Evil 4 at least like eight times, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting too for me playing this remake because like I really realized a lot of things about myself that like I should have already known, but I just like... I just like didn't care enough to think about, you know, you know what I mean? Or you're just like, this is that's life. Maybe that's, uh, (laughs) that's just what, that's just how it goes. Circle of life. Yeah. It's just like, this isn't really important for me to like know and have a position on. But I I realized that my fun with Resident Evil four and really a lot of Resident Evil games, it really comes from that original era. Like those first run of Resident Evil games where like, there weren't a lot of modes and options and things trying to get you to replay the game. The fun was just replaying the game over and over and over. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think that was definitely my approach to the original Resident Evil 4, like a game that I've played, you know, at least a dozen times. I think definitely more. Um, it wasn't like I was trying to get a better rank or do a higher difficulty or something. I was just appreciating like how perfectly tuned that game is in terms of the gameplay and the aesthetics and like the whole experience of being in that world. Like I really love that. And going into this remake, it was very, very different um, of an experience to kind of approach this new game that has all that stuff in it and kind of realize like, oh, I. I sort of don't care. Like, I kind of just want to treat this like the old game, and I just want to replay it over and over and over and just appreciate that it's, like, a really good video game. Yeah, it's still really tight, and it's, I think, it's a more concise game than I think the original one was, so there is, like, more incentive just on the, like, gameplay side to keep going through it. Right. But I do deeply appreciate how much they put into uh, like giving you incentive to replay. Like I yeah. was shocked when I went in the shooting gallery on my second playthrough and you could just fully re-earn all the the things. Yeah, for the sure. tokens. 
Yeah. Which I guess is a source of fucking debate for some people. Whatever. But I don't, I don't um, know about all that. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I was like, oh, cool, great. More way, more ways for me to get fucking money in this game. Yeah. To keep that. Numbers are going up. I'm upgrading shit. I'm buying shit because I haven't bought. I don't even own all the weapons yet. So. Yeah. I'm like, good. More stuff to sell. I love, dude. <laughs> Not to get ahead of myself, but I love min-maxing the economy. I'm really into it. I feel like I'm playing a fucking MMO. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, there there's a lot to do in this game. There's a lot of depth. I think they've done a lot of work to make it obviously just a good game, but also to make it appeal to people who have played the original a lot and want something new and want a new experience. And like, I mean, I've played this game for 50 hours and Hmm, where am I at? I mean, not quite that. I'm at 40, so. I played this game for 50 hours while working more than I ever have in my life. I've been pulling <laughs> like doubles, like 12 to nice. 14 hour days every day for the last like three weeks. And through some godforsaken hellish sorcery, I've also played 50 hours of this fucking video game. And like, so clearly there's a lot here and I'm I'm not done. Like I don't feel oh, yeah, no. even close to done. Like I'm going to mm. Elden Ring this motherfucker. Like no yeah. question. I'm uh I'm not I don't I don't foresee myself trying to like 100% the game at all. <laughs> I like still have every intention of doing that for 8 and I haven't even done that yet, but um yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not done. I've I know I've at least probably got two more playthroughs ahead of me. I'm thinking yeah. I'll probably attempt a professional playthrough and then I'll do one where like if I haven't gotten some of the challenges knocked out, like if I don't manage to find my very last little wind up um, Salazar statue, like I'll just look up. I'll do a run where I look everything up I need to look up so I can kind of get all the easy stuff out of the way. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. There's, there's more there's at least another 50 hours on the horizon for me probably yeah definitely and the crazy thing for me too is like i said i'm not really super interested in completing challenges or 100 percent the game or getting a good rank like i just don't care about mm -hmm. those things i just want to play this game more because it's so yeah. fun and it's so good so that's that's pretty wild and i think that's like even before we dive into like what the changes are and whether or not we co-sign them like them whatever I think like the broad strokes here is that like this game fucking rocks, which is oh yeah, once, I think so. Once again, it's not a surprise because I actually listened back to an older episode. I was looking for, I was trying to find a certain sample I grabbed for an episode, and I was like, <laughs> I think it's in this one. And then I heard myself say like, well, the Resident Evil Four remake, like it's gonna be amazing, right? So it's like, yeah, like I already knew, and everyone already knew, um, but still, actually getting to sit down and play it, it's like, wow, holy shit, like this really fucking rocks mm -hmm. um and you know i don't think i've ever actually said this so i've played it a lot and i obviously or the original one a lot and i uh yeah i'm not like as fond of it as you are maybe um not that i hate it i just different opinion on it right but it was my first resident evil game oh believe wow it believe it or not yeah four was my first one and like i had borrowed it for my friend yeah and I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. And then, like, I had to go. I bought my own copy. And I think not too long after that, the PS2 copy came out. Yeah. And I bought that because I was like, I got to play this Ada shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And after that, I started, you know, getting my hands on. Because um, at that point, I think I only had a GameCube. 
Yeah. Like when it came like when it came out, I only had a GameCube. So I was like eating up anything I could get. So, of course, I bought I think I had the like the two and three ports that I definitely should have held on to because those are worth too much money. Um, yeah, I like, you know, I played the uh, like zero and the the remake and all that stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. But four was my entry point into the series. So even if I'm not like as hot on it as some people, maybe it's still important. Yeah, so, like this this remake is important. Really, it's a, been a great year so far for remakes of important games for me, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, once again, something I alluded to in the last episode, it's a great era for remakes right now because people have finally figured out what makes a good remake. And that is something that doesn't fundamentally change what the work is. It just fills in all of the details and the missing pieces, and it improves those things using what we've learned over the years. Boy, were there some missing pieces. Well, I think the thing about the original Resident Evil 4 is that it has a super good flow, and it has a super good loop. And and that's what kind of keeps you playing the original, is that it doesn't slow you down, it doesn't hang you up, but it still has all this negative space. It still creates horror and tension and all that stuff. And that's why I've long held it as like such a masterpiece and such a like untouchable game, is that it managed to do this thing that I think a lot of people think is impossible. And it managed to bridge these worlds that a lot of people purposefully try to separate. You know, like we've talked about many times on the show, there's people who are like, I don't like horror in whatever form. I don't like scary movies. I don't like scary games, like blah, blah, blah. Well, here comes this game that is very explicitly horror and it's doing the horror thing, but it's also like the best action game of its time. And so you're left with a conundrum that it's like, yeah, like you got to play this even if you don't like horror games because it's like so fucking good. And I think that's what that's what's incredible about the original. And, you know, they've preserved all of that. And they've just taken it in a different direction and made it much more palatable to a modern audience, um, which I think mm. is great. Like, I, I think that's a thing that should happen to, like, a generation or era-defining work. Like, it should be mm-hmm. brought into the future and presented to a new audience. For me, the original one was not very scary. I Like, I just didn't... <laughs> It immediately presented as very cheesy to me, which is a series like staple, of course. But um, I didn't view it that way. It was it just it, it was, you know, I like the like the atmosphere of it, but it was still like an action game. Yeah, but kind of at the same time, like there would be there would end up being like really inadvertent moments. Like, you know, like the first time you open a box and you're like, where's my item? And like the snake happens, you know, yeah. like. That's a like that's a good jump scare. Like it's so stupid and like cute, and you're like mad at yourself for getting like jump scared by just a snake in a box. A snake in a box, yeah. But like it's but that I, I think that's why it's you know effective. Or like you do like a quick turn and there's just like a dude right there. Well, that's what that, I that's what I was saying in the solo episode I did. Is that like it's a different kind of horror. It's not the same as the other games like a really effective thing that like is that they with the the games like action focus when those moments happen and like they're not really scripted they just kind of happen like i've gotten spooked by a guy that was right behind me but it's always a different place yeah it happens in the village it happens in the castle it happens in the island wherever it doesn't matter where you go it happens yeah and like when it does you just go ape shit 
Yeah. Because, you know, in that game, you get so much ammo that like, yeah, your immediate reaction in an action game where you get scared is just like dump into them. Yeah. And that's like very, <laughs> that's always been very satisfying, especially if you're like, if you're good at the combat, then you can do all the like fun things like blow out their kneecaps or if you've got five times critical, maybe you just blow their head off, you know, like whatever. There's lots of ways to do it. But yeah, it's fun as hell <laughs> to be like, oh, shit. And then you just, well, yeah, you start blasting. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's a different kind of horror. And it's also very forward thinking because like the whole future after this of where horror would go was more procedural stuff less like scripted jump scare kind of stuff and more of that like tension because you know as game design improves as technology improves you can create these kind of horror sandboxes where it's like we're setting you up for scary things to happen but it's not going to be the exact same thing every time it's going to be very tightly woven into the gameplay and that I mean, that's what's so great. One of the many things that's so great about Resident Evil 4 is it's like they saw that way before, you know, everyone else did. And, you know, even to this mm -hmm. day, games that rely on jump scares and super scripted stuff, like they feel a little hokey. They feel a little old fashioned as opposed to games yeah. that can pull that off. And, and, you know, not to like compare apples to oranges, because it really is like there's all sorts of different kinds of horror, but... I think this game was way ahead of its time and it really perfected the thing it was trying to do. And I think that was another thing that like really pissed me off about trying to defend Resident Evil 4 was like, once again, apples to oranges. Like there are different kinds of horror. There are different ways yeah. to scare the player. And, you know, I think for me, I've I've been super, super like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like I, I don't have any like sensitivity to it. Uh, Desensitized? Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I almost said the word and I still couldn't <laughs> fucking think of it. Jesus Christ. Uh, Got him. I told you I'm feeling weird. Um, I, I've, I've been super desensitized to jump scares like since I was a kid. Like, I, they stopped getting me at such a young age that like that kind of shit just doesn't do it for me. And I think that there are many other ways that you can get me with a game, like a lot of like tension, dread, and then, you know, things like this, where it's like a mix of both and it's in a very like fast paced, like action oriented environment or game. And that is what I really like. And I think that, you know, the original did it really well. This remake once again, does it really well through, through various ways and means, but it's, it's very impressive to me. Let's talk about some basic <laughs> mechanical and gameplay changes. Let's do the thing that I always say I hate doing and will never do, which is tell you what happens when you press X. So yeah, gamers, are you ready to press X with me today? To be fair, that's like, I think that's the sign of like just a, a real 15 out of 10 experience is when we talk about <laughs> like that. That's right. That, that ends up being part of your like seven hours of content is like, let's do a classic. Let's talk about the pressing graphics. X. Yeah. So the, the graphics, graphics, six out of seven. Wow. The gameplay, nine out of eight. They should have uh, hired you to be a host at Fused. <laughs> I could have killed it, man. Today we've got an exclusive preview of Halo 2. I know you guys are excited for this one. I was. I am. <laughs> I was playing Halo 2 the other night. Fuck off. Jeez. I just picked an error. I just picked an error appropriate game. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not an editorial on you. Damn. Damn. So anyway, uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake is the evil within three. Mm. 
I just wanted to say that. We can move on now. So I think the first big thing... Evil with a three. <laughs> the evil, three evil with, with a, a three. <laughs> um, she within evil... Within cells interlinked, you know? <laughs> she evil in my within until I three. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way. So nice. obviously, big picture here. Resident Evil 4 remake reimagines the original in the style of the more recent remakes so the changes you imagined they would make they made them right so you can move and shoot the camera positioning is a little bit different the controls have that same feel it's heavy and weighty um, compared to most modern games but it's also much much faster um, and more agile than anything from the time that the original game came out right Blah, blah, blah. We've accepted that. It rocks. It's great. We love it. Um, some pretty interesting stuff that they changed about how the game plays and how the controls work. I think the coolest thing they've done here is add all of these controls to... I don't know how to describe it. In my head, it's like motion controls, but that's already a thing, like the Wii, like waggling a Wiimote. But what I mean is <laughs> they've given you- You like, heard it here <laughs> first, gamers. He loves waggling his Wii. You know what? Speaking of at the time, I did love waggling my Wiimote at the time. I still think about that um, Zack and Wiki game a lot. I never got to play it and I want to. I don't know what that is, but I hope you find that in your life. It's like a cute pirate thing oh i do remember that uh, game, on the actually. wii yeah it was like it was like the first year or two of the wii and people were like there has to be a good game on this thing right and that was one of the like four good games i thought you were talking about some like disney channel shit because like let me no. tell you the thing that sucks about uh being the age i am and like getting older is that you meet all these like 20 somethings who you kind of are like yeah we're, we're not that different in age and they start talking about some shit yeah. some disney channel shit that you're mm -hmm. like oh i'm mm -hmm. like 10 year 10 plus years older mm -hmm. than you mm -hmm. this is wild the sweet life of zach and wiki i don't know what the fuck that shit is I'm, okay look i know what the sweet life of zach and cody is all right i don't, I don't. watch it but i know what it is <laughs> i don't speak for yourself that's because well, you were busy doing like kratom or something i was still probably being, like, a little weirdo like sitting in my house i grew up too fast putting kratom <laughs> on my ass uh so too anyway curious. <laughs> there's a whole new layer to the controls here that basically control your character's movement and so basically what that amounts to is there's a parry ability there's mm. Mm. A crouch ability and mm -hmm. there's an stealth baby and there's an evade ability and I want to talk about all three of these because they all have a lot of depth and they're a huge game changer so let's start with the most obvious and simple one which is the crouch and stealth so like in the original game the fact that you couldn't crouch and stealth became like a massive glaring omission from the game even like a couple years after it came out like once you had gotten used to it and you'd played some other games and stuff and come back to it, you're like, why can't you crouch? Why can't you stealth? Uh, well, now, finally, you can. That's point number one why this is the evil within three. But once again, we'll breeze past it. Um, the crouch is amazing. Not just because you can stealth, which is nice because you can get the lay of the land and take out some enemies before you dive into like a huge combat encounter. Um, it's also amazing because they've rebalanced the game around it. So like... You can't do exactly what you can do in The Evil Within where you can like 
fully Metal Gear Solid an entire map of enemies. <laughs> you can't do that here. They've set it up so that like you will get spotted after you kill like three, four guys tops. Absolutely. Well, tops. the evil within was built around like stealth, maybe not first, but kind of like you should try this first. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, this game isn't, which I think is really cool because it gives you that feeling of control. Like I have to tell you, like the catharsis of playing the intro of this game and being able to stealth around the village a little bit, even mm -hmm. if it was just a little bit, was incredible. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, tr truly like better than any drug experience I've ever had. Um, but like that is that is a really cool thing. But there's another layer to the crouch that I think is amazing, which is that you can crouch to evade enemy swings mm -hmm. and to just mm -hmm. dodge. And so sometimes this is scripted where a little thing pops up that's like evade and you click it sort of like a QTE. I think it's a cool nod to the original, but it doesn't feel yeah, like there's that. There's definitely some QTE type stuff, but it's very uh, none of it's like none of it catches you off guard. There's no more like you're in a cutscene and you put your shit down and then you're like, Ugh! and you're like fumbling yeah. <laughs> to like smash a button. That's all yeah. gone. You just have kind of some stuff that you get used to really quickly because it's all like gameplay based. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think what's what's really cool about the crouch is that there are non-scripted moments where you can crouch out of the way of enemy attacks. And like the first time I did that, it was so amazing because it made me realize that like this, all these new like, you know, motion, dodge, evade controls, whatever you want to call them can be used both in scripted moments and unscripted moments. And it just gave the game such a different feel from anything else that the you know, Resident Evil team has done even recently. Like Leon in this game really does feel like a more capable, deadly, agile character. I mean, the the unintended synergy of this coming out at basically the same time as John Wick 4 is incredible because they've basically <laughs> they let you play uh, as John Wick if you would like to. And of course, I would like to, you know. The the absurdity of Resident Evil 4 has been toned down for the remake. Um, like in every regard, but I like that they've introduced these new systems because sometimes like the absurd shit that happened in the original game is how you sort of knew that Leon had like, you know, elevated himself as a professional murder person. Right. Um, and so you don't have, you know, you're not, there's no giant you know, spoiler alert. There's no giant Napoleon statue. That chases you yeah. in this game. Uh -huh. um, but like you get these little moments where it's like, yeah, like you're doing the thing where you like fucking you're you're pushing against a chainsaw blade with your knife or. Yeah, there's the scene where they like bust through the wall and he like kick he like kick backflips off the wall. Yeah. And in instead of just like moving backward, he literally pushes himself off the fucking wall and does a backflip. Yeah. So like you get these little things. That like, you know, you're like, you're still getting something that's sort of a nod to the original without being quite as goofy. Yeah. But it that's also maybe a segue into a discussion about how much Leon has changed as a character in this game. Well, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about the story and presentation, because oh, like, okay. that's, that, that's like, I want to stay focused on this because like, that's a whole other discussion. But you're, yeah. you're correct. I think that in every aspect they have 
made it more grounded and toned it down a bit. But like I said earlier, they haven't forgotten what it is inherently. And what it is inherently is an extremely cheesy 80s slash 90s style action movie. And that's what Resident Evil was. And that's what this one is. They've just, once again, they've made changes to make it more palatable, make it feel modern, et cetera, et cetera. And like, yeah. I think a way to look at it is if anyone's familiar, like looking at Evil Dead and then Evil Dead remake. Yeah, exactly. Same kind of thing. Like you still you're still keeping sort of the goofy like I'm going to call you a and spit blood everywhere thing. And that's just always goofy and stupid. Right. But it's like it's happening in what is a very serious situation for these characters. So you're getting a little bit of both. Right. And like, you know, like Ashley and Leon know this is like real fucking serious shit. But to us, we're like, <laughs> he's a backflip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, so. that's that's a great comparison. Because like, yeah. yeah, the Evil Dead remake is just as, if not arguably a lot more ridiculous than the original. But it's just not quite as goofy. And it's for yeah. a different era and a different sensibility, you know? So it's like the gore in that movie is legitimately like it reaches levels that are disturbing, but then like the whole movie has this like kind of funny, goofy feel to it in a sense, you know? And like, there is a little bit more serious, like emotional tone to it as well, where it's like this person like watching all their friends die. Like it's not like that funny, but then it's also like kind of funny, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's a tightrope walk. And I think that movie does, does it really well. And this game does it really well, but I do think like the action movie vibe is really well explored here, especially in the gameplay, because they make you feel like you're doing all that shit that we saw Leon do. Because like, I feel like in the original game, they did it as well as they could have at the time where like you have this ability to like melee enemies, right? That's like a huge part of the original game where like you can shoot an enemy in the knee once or twice and then you can run up and like melee them right and you'll kick them Mm -hmm. in the face or do some kind of like you know combat move uh but that was kind of the extent of it obviously you have a knife too but the knife was a lot slower um and and yeah the knife is mostly for like opening boxes and like maybe if you had someone on the ground and want to to conserve ammo you could like slash at them that's the strategy the knife was mostly like I'm not even aside from being able to like uh, knife down like bolts from crossbows. Like, I don't think there was a really huge like gameplay factor to the knife in the original. It's mostly for finishing off enemies. Um, yeah. Like you, like you mentioned, I mean, that's the major strategic move with the knife is that like, if you knock someone down immediately start knifing them because you have a decent chance, especially in the early game of just taking them out and then saving a lot of ammo. Um, in this game, I mean, you can do all of that stuff and it feels way more smooth and interactive and you feel like you're actually doing these things. It's not just that you're pressing a button and watching your character do them. So it's like the dodging is a huge one. The knife is much faster and much more effective. And the big reason it is, is the other thing I want to talk about in this section, which is the parry. Um, the parry is so good. Like, holy shit. So they've added the ability to tap the knife button, either prompted or sometimes unprompted, like I mentioned earlier, and you can parry enemy attacks. So you can obviously parry projectiles, which, you know, is kind of, you've always been able to knock things out of the air, like in the original, but in this game, you can parry pretty much anything if you time it right. 
and some of the enemies that have larger attacks will let you parry them in like completely insane, hilarious, and also awesome ways. Like the thing that people were talking about immediately with the demo is that you can parry a chainsaw, right? So yeah. it's like that rules, but you can also parry like <laughs> giant monsters that if you miss can swallow you whole and, and like one hit kill you. Yeah. So it's like, it's completely absurd, but it's so cool. And it adds such a different element to the combat. Like the combat because of that alone feels completely different and it's the same with like you can still melee enemies and do the things you were doing in the original game but because you have so much more control over your character and everything feels so much more immersive in the control department you really feel like you're doing all that stuff and it doesn't just feel like you're watching an animation anymore which is like a huge game changer for sure yeah when you're like speeding through like combat encounters like that like you're moving between shooting switching weapons parrying all that stuff mm -hmm. uh, at least in my case but because i'm playing mouse and keyboard like it sounds like i'm playing halo like it's, yeah i'm doing the thing where i'm like forgive me everyone but i'm like you know i'm like yeah. s smashing my keyboard i try not to do it too hard because i don't want to mess up right here but uh yeah like it's just i'm and i'm not thinking about it i'm just playing and i'm just like i'm doing the thing there's eight guys and all of them are about to get shot in the head or drop kicked or yeah. like uh fucking the the thing the thing where you grab them by the waist and you like spin suplex. them over your you do a suplex yeah that shit rocks <laughs> like well, you know yeah. i don't think we've seen that since like resident evil 5 which was like super duper hokey and shitty and yeah, we'll, we'll probably get into like the precedent for a like an actual good Resident Evil five, maybe and maybe a six, you know, after this whole thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, like, oh, boy, man, God, it just feels it feels so much better to play it now. The way that just how they managed to find a way to bridge uh, like two, three remake seven and eight to some extent with what four was and make a thing that feels kind of true to that game while still making more sense in like the new uh, canon, the new right. continuity of Resident Evil is like insane. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that like the suplex is a good thing to mention because it's such a, it's such a wacky thing. And like the mm -hmm. first time you see it in this game, it's almost out of place. But then you remember that it's like, no, this is the vibe. Like this is still even with all the changes and all the things they've done, like, this is the vibe. We're suplexing dudes. Like, let's yeah. fucking go. And As the game rocks. goes on, you get, like, you get a little more context as to why, like, maybe he's able to do that. Yeah. Like, Leon as a character is just different in this game than he was in the original one. So, like, you know, like, you know, you may see the suplex before you see some of the character development, but, like, at some point, it all clicks for you. And you're like, no, I guess it makes sense that this motherfucker is just like, no, I'm going to snap your waist in half. Yeah. <laughs> and it rocks. Like, I'm really, I'm really all for his character trajectory from, I, I might actually go back and play two again. Yeah. Which I said I'd never replay two remake because I just don't like how long it is. I don't like having to replace clear. I don't like fucking God. I hate Mr. X, but like, I don't know. Just, just to go back and, you know, go to day one, Leon. Yeah. Just for fun. I might get, I might head back. I might, might go back to 1998 and see what's up. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you know, I guess that that's a good segue to, you know, maybe we talk about this first. Cause it is one of the more interesting things to talk about with this game is like the presentation 
and the story and the myriad changes that they've made to that. Because like I alluded to earlier, I think they've done a great job here, which is, you know, essentially they haven't changed what the original game was. It's still a goofy, cheesy 90s slash 80s style action movie. Leon loves quips and he loves one-liners. But they're they're better now. Yeah. They're a little more like grounded and maybe something you would say if you're earnestly trying to just like process your way through whatever the hell's going on. Yeah. And yeah. he's got some experience with weird shit. Yeah. So, you know, like it's all just a little bit more believable this time. Oh, it's a lot more believable. Yeah. I mean, that, like, and that's he's the not thing. so full of himself when he's just like, <laughs> I got one. I got one in. Like he's just yeah. talking to himself, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they've cut a lot of the most egregious shit. So like, okay, sorry, you know, trigger warning for conservative Twitter warriors. Like, yes, they took out all the misogyny. I'm sorry that like your engine is powered purely by like misogyny in media casually presented, but like it's not in here anymore. Sawi. Um, and, you know, they, they, like you mentioned, they've just toned down a lot of the dumbest shit, but like, They've still kept the spirit. It feels the way that you remember it. And they even make some sly references like there's a boss that you beat and you get an achievement that pops up that says, no, thanks, bro. And it's like, yeah, like we all know that uh, line. The I like the your small time achievement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a it's a good like, one for me. Yeah. It's like we all know that line. We love that line, like whatever, but it doesn't fit in this game having a game that's at this level of presentation and production value and quality and then having someone say something that fucking dumb is just <laughs> it doesn't work and so i think that like they're very smart about what they pick and choose and what they change and so like like i said i think it, leon feels the same he's just not as much of a doofus but he still cracks jokes and he makes quips and one-liners like constantly but it's just doesn't feel as dumb now i would say he doesn't feel the same like i would say objectively he doesn't feel the same but i think playing it he felt the same in my mind right like i felt like this like i felt like i was it was leon it's leon like and yeah i like while i was playing it my brain wasn't like no this is the like new mature adult leon like i was like no this is like <laughs> This is it, because in my mind, like all the other, like all the old Resident Evils are just gone. Like, yeah. Sorry, everybody, but uh, goofy, like himbo Leon, I just don't think he's here anymore. I think, <laughs> I think we got we got a very jaded, like man, who yeah. went through something traumatic and like and is now like a little, maybe not colder, but he's different. Yeah, and that's like evident when you play it. Yeah, well, and it definitely just speaks to the quality of writing here because, like, shocker, there actually is good writing here and there actually is a good story here now. Like, once again, they don't change any of the plot beats, really, but they just go in mm. and they fix everything up, you know, and they they make it work. I think it's actually most evident, not even in Leon, right? Because, like, Leon, they, they fixed it, but it's not, like, yeah. a massive change. But when you look at... Uh, Luis and Ashley. Yeah, you, no, huge. Big you can, time, yeah, you can see like how huge and how effective the changes are because like 
not only do these characters now have good dialogue, they also have characterization and you actually get a snapshot into how they're feeling. So like you learn about Ashley and you learn like how she's feeling about this whole scenario. You learn about Luis and his backstory and why he is the way he is. And like, they're just much more fully fleshed out three-dimensional characters. And so when things happen to them, when the story is rolling along, you actually care, which is like such a massive departure from the original Mm -hmm. that it's, it's actually shocking. And I mean, even like just the dynamic between Leon and Ashley, like they, they have kind of a Joel and Ellie thing going on where like they grow closer. He has more respect for her. They give her more autonomy. So like there is a brief section where you play as her, but also like there's dialogue alluding to the fact that like she is competent and she is like a human being who can take care of herself. And like, it's just, it's very refreshing, it's very cool, and it's one of my favorite things about the game. Easy. Yeah, they also give her, like, opportunities to, kind of, like, show that she is adjusting to the situation. Right. Because, like, right when you, like, get, you get her, you finally, like, actually find her. Like, that's when all of the insane, like, she is screaming when you get hit. Yeah, like she is losing her goddamn shit. If you <laughs> yeah. take, if you take a single crossbow bolt or like someone hits you, like she is losing her mind. Right. And like as the game goes on, that starts to slow down. It starts to become less intense. Yeah. Her responses when you tell her to do something kind of change as you progress through the game. Right. And they're not just like weird canned lines. Like she's, they have written it so that she is like accepting what's happening. And like what the end goal is and like, you know, trying to like help instead of just always being like, uh, like and is instead of being like a helpless lady, which is that you can look at her underwear at, which is what yeah. she was in the old one. Like now she's a person. Yeah. And people don't just constantly do misogyny at her <laughs> constantly, <laughs> which is nice. That's a nice change. I mean, hey, who knows? But. I mean, now the audience can do misogyny. Yeah, in the game, no one really does. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's up to the audience to uh, to make their own fun with that aspect, Mm -hmm. Um, which they have. uh, Yeah, they have. Which you'll have an answer for this, I think. Um, Did they even tell you in the original game like who the fuck Lewis even is? I don't think so. Or Luis. Is it Luis or Lewis? Well, it's Luis, but then randomly some people say Lewis. Well, like I, th- Ada. Pretty, Ada I remember in the original game when he spoiler alert dies like Leon just he like yells like Lewis. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. But um, think, they don't like tell you why he's there, really. They, no, I think they oh, give yeah. you some canned thing about how he works for somebody. But like, that's it. You so, get nothing else yeah. about him. One thing that was funny about playing this, even though like I just replayed the original and I, I tell this anecdote so that people fucking believe me when I say shit that they might think sounds crazy. Like, I am telling you guys that every time since the, my first playthrough of the original RE4, I have aggressively skipped every cutscene and not read any note in the okay. game. Like, I am just oh, yeah. speeding through. So it's like, when I was like, playing this game, there were certain things that I was like, huh, I don't know if that's in the original actually. Cause I'm just not paying mm-hmm. attention. And like mm-hmm. a big one was like, Luis is like, I don't think they tell you shit about Luis's backstory in the original. I think that's new, but 
Yeah. Do you want you know you want know the biggest one that like made me do a massive double take <laughs> is <Let's go. laughs> right before the end of the game, you can find like a stone tablet with an ex- uh, inscription that's signed by Lord Sadler, and you see that his name is Adam Sadler. <laughs> <laughs> like one literally one fucking letter off of Adam Sandler like who uh, who did that who made that choice that stuff was really cool I really liked those touches but yeah by the end I was like not reading any of the shit listen that's a lot to say that you missed Adam Sadler and I'm telling you his name is Adam fucking Sadler and it drove me insane I was like screaming I was sounds like, like a your problem man. <laughs> sounds like a skill issue to me <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to think of an Adam Sandler joke, but all I've got is put on your plaga. It's time for Hanukkah. <laughs> I don't even know if that's good. Is that good? <laughs> but you have to like do it in a voice with like an acoustic yeah, guitar. Put like, on your plaga. It's time for Hanukkah. I'll dub in the guitar. It's fine. They just heard it. Um, I bet you will. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was really impressed with how they managed to expand the story and make the characters likable and make the character dynamics actually worthwhile. So like, yeah, you care when Luis dies, you care when Ashley's in trouble, like you're invested in their relationship developing. And it's also platonic, big, important point. It's it's completely platonic. No one trying to get up in anyone else's shit and like okay all right well you know like to here t big to first of all i am like on team leon and ashley now okay and i'll tell you why they finally got rid of the ada thing he is not into ada for no reason yeah it's all gone what's they at they axed the whole weird like why are you why do you like her you met her for 15 minutes yeah like, why are you obsessed with her to the point that you're like, no, I gave myself a promise ring from Ada. I won't have <laughs> sex until it's Ada. Yeah. Like, that's gone. And he, like, is just like, no, she's definitely, like, scuzzy and weird. And I don't trust her. But I have to sometimes. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, he and Ashley's interactions become much more, like, friendly as, like, time goes on. And he's, like, trying. And, like, he's clearly, like, not like dehumanizing her or treating her like an object like he's everything he says is like it's like good banter basically right and as far as i know they're not like you know i think she's still supposed to be like 21 22 in the game or whatever and he's probably like mid-20s i'm assuming well yeah that's see the fbi and chris hansen both want to know how old ashley is and i'm with i think if you google it i think she's always been like 21 22 Okay, because I'm not sure where everyone got the like, no, she's like 16 thing from. But like, I I'm almost positive that she's in her 20s. Okay, well, Leon better not be here just to get a cupcake. Okay, that's all I have to say. Well, I was actually coming out here to pick up a cupcake and then go back home. But it's like for me, it's like, yeah, you know, like it would make sense that two people would like trauma bond, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, all that really tracks, and, like, not even just that of, like, he's keeping her safe, but, like, there come points where she helps him, and he wouldn't have made it out without her, etc. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's... I like that, 
if you want to just be like, no, they definitely might be a couple. Like, yeah, you can do that. Like, and it's not there's yeah. nothing weird. Nothing's freakish and odd. But you're you're not like doing Leon, that. Yeah, yeah. Leon's just a guy, and he's like his motivations and behavior are finally normal and makes well, sense. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you if you want to be a Tumblr fandom person and you want to ship them, uh, like that's fine because it's not built on Leon being like weird horn dog man who just like if he sees a woman he goes like he only does that for fucking ada no in the original game he does it to ashley hunnigan ada like uh, literally i do remember the hunnigan thing he was like very like like, hey baby (laughs) and she's like i'm your boss (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean i'm just i'm just saying like these are major changes that work Mm -hmm. really well in the game also speaking of ashley i think They've made her a real person, as I alluded to, and I think that's great, and I love it. They've also given her so many great lines and one-liners in this game. Like, she has all of my favorite lines in this game. My two favorites being when she just casually goes, skills, and it's subtitled (laughs) with a Z. That's awesome. Also, era appropriate. Thank you. The game's set in, like, 2003 or some shit. And... She has the single best line in the game. And it's the writing, it's the line read. I mean, everybody <laughs> deserves their flowers for Ashley's panicked utterance of, This sucks! It is like <laughs> so fucking good. It's the best line I've maybe ever heard in a video game. It's incredible. And so, like, I don't know. It was just like so fun to like reflect on how far the narrative and the presentation has come in this game you know because going into it we kind of had said like it's obvious from promo materials and trailers that it's going to have a more serious tone and it does but it's not just a blanket statement of like okay it's serious now it's not grimdark it's just that they made it a real thing that like people would do and make and not Mm -hmm. this like insane grotesque caricature of like a chuck norris movie and i say that as a massive insult because i fucking hate chuck norris and i hope only bad things happen to him. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Him and uh, what's the other guy? Who's the old guy? Steven Seagal. Movies? No, 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 no. He's also um, a bad person. They're all bad people. Fucking uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, but I mean, I think I think there's a difference between those three, where it's like Seagal aligned himself with the Russians, Norris is a racist, and Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. is like. A bigger racist, arguably, and a conservative. Yeah, like Clint Eastwood like, is at least like someone who you could argue is something of an artist. Yeah, but he is direct. just he is just like a boomer ass. Like everything, everything that you would expect an old ass white man to th- he does. Well, and and people used to fucking suck his dick so still voraciously, do. but about his race politics like because like he made a movie called Gran Torino that was shot here or set here I can't remember and it's like him and like a Hmong kid and like we have a huge well a relatively large population of Hmong people here which is like a pretty unique thing to Minneapolis St. Paul Metro and specifically St. Paul so it was like kind of was like a Minnesota movie in like a weird way and like mm-hmm. The whole like thrust of the uh, terrible fucking movie and the whole thrust of it is like these young kids on the street, if they just learn to wash their car and pull up their pants, then they would have all the values they need to succeed. And it's like, yes, ignore poverty and systemic racism. Please keep doing it. Do it more. Yes. (laughs) 
I fucking hate him. I hate all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then he turns around. He's like, let's make a movie about Iwo Jima. Shut the fuck up, motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He keeps clinging on, dude. I, every day I'm like, is he dead yet? Did he die? And it's like, no, he just looks like fucking Shin Godzilla now. But he's still kicking. <laughs> That's it, dude. He's the original weeb. <laughs> I've been watching Shin Godzilla. It's kind of good, actually. Nice. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I didn't know. It, I didn't know it was um Evangelion Man. And then I was like, oh, this is his directorial style, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a big deal when he. he did and the that. music, like the music is just like the same. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, rocks. That was a very big deal culturally yeah. when he did that. Okay. So uh, where are we? Um, yeah. Okay. So story good. Story better. It's great. Um, well, the characters, but I don't even, we were, I don't know if we've touched on the story, but I mean, all, all the, all the characters are now like actual characters with motivations and feelings and yeah, perspectives. That, that's what I mean. Cause the rest of it is just a vague broad strokes outline of like, how do you get guy from point A to point B to point C to ending? Well, before we move on, I want to, I do want to point out there's black goop everywhere. And the notes in this game talk about it. They specifically mention the fucking the maiden of Blackwater or whatever, all this right. shit. In addition to all the like parasite stuff, right. which is like I'm fully assuming a clear way to try to bridge kind of these the the these remakes like these older games with where they've gone with seven and eight. Right. I'm assuming. Because, like, part of, like, their whole we infect you and make you one of us thing is, like, the goop, is the black goop stuff. Right. And they don't, they never say, like, make a mice eat or whatever in the fucking, in any of the notes. But, like, I'm assuming what's happening is a general attempt to sort of retcon things and push things in, like, a more cohesive direction. Yeah. Because, like, when you go to the, when you have the sequence where you, uh, you have to, like, raise the platforms and the, like, the big water chamber to get across, it's not water anymore. It's black shit. The black goop. Yeah. Yeah, And if you, like, pull up your rifle with a thermal on it, like, after you, like, if you do a replay, like, it comes up as, like, hot. It's not just, like, water anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think that's, it's not really spoken of explicitly beyond, like, actually mentioning the substance, but I think, uh, I'm into that. I'm into the sort of like, let's let's make these games more cohesive and not just like a bunch of disjointed horse shit. Yeah. Like, I know someone was like, I wonder what game they'll remake next. I hope they remake Code Veronica. And I'm like, no one cares about Code Veronica. (laughs) Nobody does. And then like people are like, well, it's the most canonically important one after Resident Evil 2. And I'm like, who fucking gives a shit? The canon is dog shit. Yeah. Nothing about any of this stuff is that interesting. Yeah. Like it's all just rich weirdo wants to experiment, giant shark, world domination, whatever. And like the games just get progressively more and more fucking batshit. So like who yeah. cares? They're not gonna they'll just write out code Veronica. You I mean, they could they could write out everything between four and seven if they wanted to. Yeah, but like now, but like I think the precedent that, that's maybe being set here with four is like whether you remake five and six or whether you just make another game that sort of just replaces those. Like you have an opportunity to bring Chris back in, and then like yeah, there's an opportunity to have like the way the interesting part of six where they all kind of like you finally have these characters link up. They they're the way they're going. They have an opportunity to make these games 
actually like make sense as numerical entries that are you know sequels to each other in like a big catalog of of games and story in a way that <laughs> I just don't know that they could have done before. It's true, but they've also kind of hit a wall with what's even like worth remaking because like Code Veronica and Five are pretty bad games objectively. I mean, mm -hmm. Five has so much shit in it that you'd have to edit out that it's a risky maneuver because you either do that or you risk like pissing off like crazy people on the internet. And then like Code Veronica is the same way. I mean, Code Veronica has like a game breaking encounter halfway through it that most people just haven't even gotten past um, in their life. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, and then you get into six and you know, we talked about six. We did an episode on it. I really like Leon's campaign in six. I think it's fun. I don't like anything else in that game. And I also think that that game is so dependent on all that old school lore that they are like pretty aggressively chucking out the window that like, once again, if, if they were going to redo it, they'd have to change it so drastically that it becomes a thing of like, do you even try? Do you risk like people being mad or whatever? Or do you just move on? Because like in terms of the story, seven was such a hard reset that yeah. like there's like I said, you could just write out everything between four and seven. Like no one really cares. Like, I mean, even in this version of four, it's interesting that they still more or less commit to the bit of like, okay, Leon's a secret agent now. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, he meets Krauser and they talk about how this thing happened and it gives it a little mm -hmm. more backstory and it's a little more fleshed out, which I like and I appreciate. But at the same time, once again, broad strokes, we're still just suspending disbelief that like, yeah. okay, Leon is just James Bond, John Wick now, and it's fine because you know what? It is fine. It's cool. And so it's mm -hmm. like, if we're willing to do that, I don't think it's a huge leap to go from like, yeah, there's some black goop here in four. And then in seven, yeah. boy, howdy, is there black goop? No. Well, I think maybe if we see anything, it's going to involve Chris. Like, I think if anything, they'll just like heavily rewrite what five is into. Yeah, something that fits a little better, because I mean, Chris is such a. He's there for two seconds in seven and he's an integral part of the story in eight. So I think I think they'll want something that bridges where he was in the first game. Till eight. So they'll do something. They'll find a way, I think, to do something with uh, with that. I don't know. They should just make new games. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit about the canon. And yeah. anytime, anytime anyone talks about, like, I'll give people, like, room to talk about Silent Hill canon and whatever. Sure. But, like, do not talk to me about Resident Evil canon. Everything's yeah. a foil in that game. In, in that story. Yeah. Everything is. It's just, it's like, what if you made Romero even goofier? Like, it's not, it's not lore. This isn't, it's not Dark Souls. And yeah. we always, I, that comes up a lot. We talk about it, whatever. Like, not everything is fucking Dark Souls. Not everything has to have lore. Not everything has to be esoteric. Like, it's all, right. it's I'm, all just bad people doing shit with, with jeans and goop and making bad stuff. And then people are going to shoot it. You get to shoot it. It's yeah. fun to shoot it. That's you want that that stuff exists, so you have a fun time stopping the bad stuff. 
Yeah, you it's not like this. actual good storytelling or writing direction. Yeah, it's just it's anything. it's dorky action movie, action horror stuff, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, in it's, fact, it's, it's clearly fine. good because we're fucking here talking about it. Yeah. I yeah. don't need 900 wiki entries or fucking books. I, who cares? Yeah. As I long just, as the I characters are compelling and have a reason for doing what they do. We're here, baby. And they are. They're finally here. <laughs> Ashley's cool. Leon's cool. <laughs> Luis yeah. is cool. Ada. I don't get why she exists because she's just always like, I'm just here. Sunglasses. Yeah. Fly away, and then Wesker. Sh- Wesker shows up. That's fun, at least. That was cute. A little Wesker. spoiler. Spoiler alert! Fucking Wesker shows up at the very end of the game. Which, and you know what? Back up. That's a reason for a five thing, because Wesker is such a part of five that, like, I'm like, okay, maybe that's where they're headed. They're gonna kind of heavily retcon five. Yeah, I mean, I'm not against that. I think if they want to, they should just make a new thing that bridges the gap. Mm-hmm. Just make one game, call it Resident Evil something, and then yeah, and then just like make a new game. I mean, I think they should actually go back and remake the remake of one if they're really trying to shore up this Ooh. fucking this whole shit. Like, I think they should do that because, like, in the original run, the original run, I mean, has a lot of the best like moments and story and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Four is the end of it, and it's like, once again, if you're getting into shit after that, it's going to be so heavily rewritten that it's kind of like, eh, maybe just focus on the stuff that's already like kind of good and make it really good. That's more important to the, the plot. You know, if we're talking about plot and lore and stuff, I mean, that game's way more important than anything that happens in five or six. Like, five's a mess, yeah. and six is an even bigger mess. It, it's completely incoherent. It does not hang together. It involves so many characters that are either, like, new in that game or relatively new that it's just like, what am I even doing here? What is the point of this? You know, it, it's very much in the style of those terrible CG movies. So mm-hmm. I would oh, yeah. rather Having it, like Wesker's son be a character is a big CG movie. So fucking dumb. Vibes. I would rather it's they just don't pick up that thread and they just keep doing cool shit. Because mm-hmm. like this RE4 is very cool shit. And I think they should just stick with that because uh, turns out good stuff is good. And maybe that's the way to go with this series instead of like dwelling on all the bad shit. Like I've already accepted that they skipped Code Veronica, right? And I'm someone who like, I used to really like that game. I wouldn't mind if they remade it to like bring it back into the story, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, yeah, you're, you're right. Like it's a, we don't need it. Like we have, we have more or less what we need. And I think it behooves them more to focus on like, the shit yeah. that's already good and like polish up what's good rather than trying to take something that is like bad and kind of remake it whole cloth and kind of yeah. stick to the like uh, I just think it would be uh-huh. a mess and I know how fans get and I think it would just like the di- like the discourse around this game around Resident Evil 4 remake is already like really annoying because people are like why did you change this bad thing and make it good? And the answer to any like sane person is obvious, right? But like you still have to like explain to someone that it's like, well, it was bad and now it's good. <laughs> we'll have to do a separate thing. That's I think discussing the discourse is a Patreon episode. I just Oh, hopefully. for sure. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. I agree. But I, I'm just saying, like, imagine that with like something that like only a true 
gremlin could enjoy like Resident Evil 5. I think the thing that I've been assuming kind of for a while now is that a lot of what's driving sort of the popularity for the franchise now is not exclusively like longtime fan response and engagement. It's it's kind of a mixture of people who have always been along for the ride and like new people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with like the success of eight and I'm I'm I haven't seen numbers. I'm assuming four has done fucking crazy numbers. So, yeah, I I think that like if I'm thinking about it from like a business perspective, like what their incentive is, I think they want to make sure that these games keep like selling pretty well, uh, well enough for them to be like, here's Code Veronica remake. You're going to buy it, right? Yeah, like they don't they don't want to do they're not going to just do it because they're going in order of like fucking story or release dates or whatever. Like, you know, it needs to be something that they'll see a return of investment on. So I want to talk a little bit more about I guess this is two categories, but there's a lot of overlap. There's level design and then there's kind of Mm -hmm. like game structure, you know, there's a a lot of really interesting Mm -hmm. stuff they do here with those ideas. And I think once again, as I've alluded to a couple times, it's not so different from what they did with the Dead Space remake um, and a lot of what we were talking about in that episode where like modern games are bigger and they generally have a little bit more of an open ended feel. And so I think that they've definitely injected some of that into Resident Evil 4 while also just putting a ton of extra content and stuff to do. Like, and and I think that kind of applies to everywhere that you go in the game. So like on a nuts and bolts level, the level design, a lot of it is the same. Like you'll come to familiar areas and there's certain iconic things that they haven't changed a bit. Like, you know, the village square, for example, like, You can't change that or like, you know, certain parts of the castle where it's like, yeah, that's still basically the same. But then there are other areas that are now much larger or that you come in from like a different side of the same map. And so you get a totally different look at it. I noticed that they did that a lot in the village where there'd be Mm -hmm. like an area where it's like, oh, like I think in the original you came in from the other side and now you see it from this side. And even like certain areas that in the original were really small and kind of forgettable, like that first place you go out of the village square where you encounter like the bullhead enemy. Um, in the original, that's not really a memorable place at all. And in this one, it's like a super cool set piece where it's like, it's bigger, there's more stuff to find, there's an enemy, you know? I think that those areas are now so much larger and there's so much more going on that like it feels like it's something totally different from the original. I mean, there's definitely additions like you have like that whole windmill in that area. And like a big part of it is there's not, you know, once you're loaded into a chapter, there are no load times. Yeah, you're just going through doors. And even if these areas are sort of linear, like, you know, you'll basically everything's still like you kind of have like a, a an area, a section whether that's for a puzzle or like a set piece or whatever and a path leading to it. But there's a lot less like meandering just pathways. And now you're kind of just going like section to section fairly quickly. And you can always backtrack. Like as long as you have access to that general map layout, you can go back. Right. It feels a little more open just being able to kind of freely move around those spaces. 
And that's what's cool with this game is that it has the same forward momentum and you can even still play it in that way if you want to, but there is a lot more mm -hmm. breathing room in this game. I mean, I think the biggest change for me that made the game like a lot more fun in a lot of ways and like engaging in kind of a different way than the original was the addition of side quests. So now the merchant has requests yeah. for you to do and these you can do them or you can ignore them but they always end up being really fun you know they start with the basic just shoot the blue medallions just like in the original game but then very quickly balloons into this whole other thing and like a couple of them are even more like rpg style side quests with original story original enemies like things like that and if you skip these parts of the games you're really missing out on a huge and super fun and engaging part of this game, but it's also just so cool how they've redone so much of the level design and area design to suit this new, like more open-ended structure. Cause like the village in the original, like you're saying, it has a lot of character, but it is just a straight dash. Like you're just going area, area, area. In this one, you can actually backtrack, you can find new places, you can, you know, experience some certain things that are off the beaten path. And I think that's just so cool. Like it completely changes the vibe of the game. It makes it a lot more fun. And it also adds in more negative space, which is, you know, I, in my solo episode, I talked a lot about how I think that's one of the most important and like inherent qualities of Resident Evil 4 is that despite being a really relentless action game, there's still a lot of negative space. And that's where like the vibe and the atmosphere and the horror can kind of like seep in to the experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that regard, this game is, it just does it better because it gives you more of that while also being really fun. There's also one big open-ended section that they've put in the village, which is like Ooh. after you beat the lake boss, there's like mm. a really- God, a, I love it. I love yeah. it so much. It's really good. And it's like the section where you can just ride around in a boat and you can find items, you can do side quests, you can explore basically to your heart's content. And then whenever you want to get back to the main story, there's a very obvious objective to complete and move on. But this is a part of the game where I realized that the whole game structure here, it's not just nuts and bolts level design stuff that they've you know moved around and remixed. It's like the whole game structure is different here because not only is it more open-ended, but it's letting you choose how you want to play on an even deeper level. Because like, yeah, like, you know, there's the weapons are different in this game. There are more customization options. There are more weapons. There's more things to dump points into, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also more stuff to do that's going to get you those items and that's going to get you upgrades and it's going to keep you like thinking in that strategic way about how you want to play so you know the, for example like with the merchant now a lot of the weapon upgrades like the stocks or scopes and things like that are hidden behind completing requests for him because it uses a different currency um than just the like money that you find off of corpses mm -hmm. yeah and so that's like such an interesting thing because then you have to engage with that if you want to fully like max out your weapon set and, you know, have that more strategic take on the game. And that's like light years past what was in the original and something that I just thought was really cool. Yeah. And some of the like you can still get some of that currency without doing any of those. Like some of it you just find like shooting lanterns and stuff yeah, like you. Right. You know, if you're not fully if you do not really care about that stuff you can get some of the stuff granted you're gonna <laughs> it's a lot more of a grind but like 
and not to get too much into like fucking discourse about this game, but like there is some discussion about shooting gallery, fucking uh, micro transaction, like all this bullshit, whatever. For me, everything is so locked into a gameplay loop here that that stuff doesn't matter right. to me. Like if they if they just want to let people buy things with real money and someone just wants to buy it, okay. Yeah. Like that's, well, that's it, just the nature of fucking capitalism. Video games are part of that wheel. It's just how it is, but like it doesn't you're not getting a lesser experience in the game because you decided to play it and put on I have the case that gives me increased gold drops, I guess, because I bought the deluxe one or what. I don't fucking know. But like even without it, you know, you just you find money. You play the shooting gallery for fun. Every time you play a new game, you get more medals to get little figures to put on your case to give you boosts. And like it's all in a gameplay loop and it's not grindy in a free to play game way. I don't think. Yeah. Like it's all just part of like the game's. Uh, like economy like the the design of the game's economy is much more like robust and like interesting and fun to engage in now than it was before which was just pick up money you always get a big treasure when you kill a boss you know like all that stuff becomes very predictable and playing this it's a lot less predictable sometimes you get a thing that you can combine with a treasure sometimes you get a treasure sometimes you you just get X, Y, or Z and you know, it's all, it's all in service of keeping the gameplay loop going. And that's, I, I thought that's what everybody wanted. I thought Uh everyone was like, I want games to be the way that they used to be. And I'm like, well now they are. So please shut the fuck up. Please. I'm begging you or just like, don't play it. Just do anything else. Like you, you have limitless possibilities in life, dog. What you're referring to is that, you know, at some stops where you find the merchant, there's now a shooting gallery and you can go down, you can earn medals um, for doing the shooting gallery and then exchange them for items. The items are basically mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. buffs um, for your character, but they're they're just for drops. Like, you know, you'll get more drops of something or you'll get a bonus when crafting certain kinds of ammo, et cetera, et cetera. Ah, but it's not just that because you get some... My favorite one on the second playthrough is I got one that gives me it gives me a 100 percent increase in health item sell like sales amount. Oh, interesting. So if I equip that and I sell a uh, red, green, yellow or mixture to the dude, I get 20K. Oh, that's cool. And when you're when you're replaying on like a lower difficulty where like you're like, you know, I had the vest at this point. Uh, like you take less damage, everything's more abundant. Like I don't need, and I like my health at max. I don't need those. Yeah, that's like a huge chunk of change to like put towards an upgrade. And yeah. so like and like doing that, or you like I've got one that gives me like an increase to like weapon sales. So I just sell off all my like extra knives because I have the good knife, you know. Yeah. Or one of the good knives. There's multiple good knives, but that's yeah, spoiler yeah. alert. There's multiple knives. <laughs> I mean, the thing the thing here. Oh, I guess that's something we didn't even talk about. Is your knife can break, so you have to like repair it, and you have to keep backups. And ah, but it's that's so fun. It's part of the loot, baby. It's so fun. I love upgrading my knife, and then I get another knife, and then even if that breaks. 
You find little shitty knives. There's always a knife. It rocks. I think people complaining about, yeah, like, I guess that's a good way to put it is like the economy in the game. Uh, people complaining about it, I think, are really ignoring the fact that it's really fun and it's really finely tuned. So, like, you definitely do not need to pay to win any of this stuff. And, you, you know, you don't have to be amazing at the game either. Like, you can just play the game normally and it's really fun. You can upgrade everything. You know, you can get body armor, uh, you get your knife, and, you know, there's all these different little things to keep track of. And instead of being stressful or annoying, it's actually really, really fun. Like, it's fun to upgrade your knife. And you're like, oh, it lasts longer now. It's fun to get the body armor and be like, I can take a few more hits now. Like, it's fun to keep upgrading your weapons just like it was in the original, but it's just a lot deeper now. And it's tied to a few different systems. So there's like money that you find, obviously, duh. But then there's also the spinels, which are now the thing that you get sometimes find, but mostly you get from doing requests for the merchant. Um, and then, yeah, there's also this like shooting gallery that plays into that and interacts with that in the way that you were mentioning earlier. And so it's like, it's actually really cool. And the, the depth inherent in it makes it more engrossing and it makes the whole game overall more fun. And yeah, like I think obviously, you know, play to win stuff sucks. Capcom is notorious for having terrible DLC and microtransaction shit. We did a whole fucking episode about it, basically. Oh man, I keep I always I keep forgetting and then being reminded that the eight DLC was so bad. It was trash. And, and it was basically it was basically like a bunch of bundled microtransactions and one twenty dollar mm -hmm. package and it sucked. But like the thing is that the thing that I'll give Capcom is unlike some other companies that are a lot shittier about this you're never missing something from the game that you like need like yeah it's never like oh you have to do this it's like no the options there and if it bothers you that much you should probably look into like your self-control because like that's clearly like an issue you're having but like i can't fault them for that like too much like ultimately they put everything you need to play and enjoy the game in the game the game is incredibly well made and finely tuned just like the original and yeah you don't need to do the microtransaction shit to enjoy the game or to see everything the game has to offer and so that's why that stuff it doesn't bother me too much like the resident Evil 8 dlc and that whole episode we did on it was kind of like my one interaction with capcom where i was like fuck you this sucks but yeah. generally i think that they've learned in more recent times to kind of like keep it out of the way like yeah sure there's some shitty pay to win stuff in here but it's so far out of the way that i think if you're not going looking for it you're not gonna find it like i didn't even know that was a thing yeah. until i read some cursed article online and the person was like can you believe this and i'm like i don't know Fuck you, I don't care. I only knew it because there was a one gigabyte update and I was like, ooh, what did they update? And I was like, oh, it's all this stuff, yeah. which didn't matter to me. So I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to go it's, back to playing the campaign just by main mode. Yeah. I mean, it added mercenaries, which I still need to mess around with, and I will before the next time we record so we can maybe talk about that. But I mean, the thing is that like, the whole point of this is that the way that they've changed the game structure and the economy and all this stuff is incredible and it's just added a lot more depth and complexity which to me is like only a positive and it's made the game just like so much more fun and so much more replayable like the game just came mm -hmm. out and i'm on my third fucking replay like yeah. what the heck that's crazy that's not normal
at least for me. That's like very, very <laughs> irregular. But it's like there's a lot going on in this game. And it's not just like fun game, good game. It's like there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot to explore. And there's definitely stuff that you'll miss completely on a first play or a second play that you're going to want to come yeah. back and dive into and like actually like figure out what's going on especially because like as you get more weapons and things are more upgraded like because of all that extra shit your like new game plus playthroughs just get more and more fucking insane mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah they've walked into this whole thing after eight like they've really they found like a satisfactory like replay loop i think yeah exactly and it, especially in this game though because i think that there's so much going on under the hood that like coming back to it with more stuff, more items, more inventory, Mm -hmm. more armory, whatever. It's just insanely fun. And it lets you really tinker with like the mechanics of the game. And once again, to bring it back to evil within like this being the evil within three, I mean, that's what I love about evil within evil within has a ton of depth and a ton of mechanics. And the more you play the game, the more you understand them and you unlock things, not in a literal sense, you just understand the mechanics yeah. more and then you can just make your own fun with the game like evil within two yeah. is just fully like a sandbox game and i was really pleasantly surprised to find how much of that sandbox feel this particular game has and yeah that's part of the reason i love it so much and part of the reason why i was immediately like oh evil within three real shit yes give me more please <laughs> thank you thank I you sleep yeah yeah no i i'm fully awake give me more i mean i uh i didn't know that I just went through my whole hardcore playthrough not fully understanding the parrying system. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I like no, and and to like not to I'm not like shaming anybody, I swear to god. But I did not have as much difficulty on hardcore as I think a lot of people seem to be having. I don't know if that's a mouse and keyboard thing for me. Yes. I also I also just play like shooters that's just a genre that I've always liked a lot. So I play, I might play more shooters than a lot of the people in our specific community. I didn't, I definitely ran into some situations where like by the end of like a really big encounter, I would just be like tapped on ammo or something like that. But I never, I never was like, Oh fuck. I think I'm like, I'm fucked. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to restart the whole game. Like nothing like that. Like I, I got through everything and I got through it without the parrying. I was just taking hits left and right and healing myself and all that fun stuff. And like, you know, when I was like really low on health, no health items, like the game clearly adjusted for it. I would just get like three green herb drops within two minutes, you know, like that. There's some tuning there. And I think maybe I don't know if that's a discussion for later or not. The whole difficulty thing. Uh, well, but. I mean, it, it's a, it's a good thing to talk about because like it, it is something that's both different and the same in this game, which is the difficulty of the game. Um, so in this version, I, t- I did a whole Patreon episode about this because I got really pissed about it and I'm not as, <laughs> I'm not as pissed anymore. So I yeah. think I can just like calmly editorialize about this. But like so in this game, they included the same troll that the original Evil Within did 
where they put in a normal mode and they said, hey, you should play this one. This is the game. And then they put in an easy mode and the description is like, are you a little titty baby piece of shit who sucks a lot and you just like wah, wah, wah all the time? If that's you... It's not like then, that. Okay. Then click here. No, the evil within. No, in the evil within. No, the evil within might be. That's what I'm yeah, saying. No. And it's a, it's a massive troll because like the normal mode is so aggressively hard that... 99% of people approaching it on their first play are going to bounce off of it. Well, you're not going to like this, but I, I played it on normal on my first play and I did fine. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just saying this in the evil within it's kind of cool because it's very in keeping with like the mission statement of the game, which is that it, it, openly they were like, are you an RE4 head? Do you want a harder, more brutal, more insane version of RE4? Here's Evil Within. Nobody waiting into that game can say that they went in blind. Like even if normal mode shocked you, which it probably did, you can't say the game didn't warn you because they did. All the promo and all the press around it was just literally telling you this one thing. With Resident Evil 4, they've done something similar, but I think it's a lot more insidious because there's a hard mode called Hardcore. And the game says on at the menu, play this if you've played the original. And I think it's fucked up. Yeah. I think it's a trick. I don't know what that's about. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing. I've now played hardcore almost all the way through. I played up through like chapter 14, uh, which is right near the end of the game. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm just tired of it. And wow. I'm not having fun. You tapped out, you coward. Yes, exactly. I, uh, I did not choose to fully get good. I got most of the way good. Uh, but then I switched over to play standard and here's the thing standard mode is perfectly balanced it has the same balance and feel as the original game on normal difficulty it's really fun it gets hard at points like you will die but it's not overly frustrating there are a couple parts near the end where you might you'll feel the game grinding against you like that's the point right but it has the exact same difficulty and balance as the original. So I think it was a little weird to say that like, well, if you've played the original, you don't need to do this, play hardcore. Because hardcore is significantly different. And it's in some ways that I think are really good and eventually near the end, some ways that I think are bad. What I liked about hardcore specifically was the village. The village on hardcore is exquisite. It's a masterpiece of gaming. I love it. And the thing that I liked about it so much was that it really makes you learn the controls and the strategy of the game. And given that this game has such cool and deep and immersive controls, I really appreciated playing the first section on hardcore. That's really fun. The game is really good. Where it started to lose me was at the castle, and then it fully lost me at the island. And the reason being that if you're approaching the game for the first time and you're not 100% sure how the bosses work, because they're different now, and how the weapons work, because they're different now, and how all these different mechanics work because you're unfamiliar with them, hardcore is just really, really punishing. The big thing that I kept coming up against was ammo shortage. I think that they leaned into it so much that they accidentally created a wall around what is otherwise a really fun mode. Because like in Resident Evil 4, to me, to my mind, what works is that you punish the player for bad tactics or bad aim or whatever with most of the weapons in the game. So like if you fuck up, it's not that you run out of ammo. It's that you run out of the ammo you want. 
Like you're always short on shotgun shells because you just, if you're me, you always want to use the shotgun, right? But mm -hmm. in hardcore, it's like you can just straight up fucking run out of ammo. And once again, I'm playing with a controller, which is how I think the game is supposed to be played. Like, sorry, mm -hmm. Justin, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, so in that mode, it's very easy to run out of ammo. And it's so weird and discouraging. That was the thing that really pissed me off because it's like, I shouldn't feel discouraged right now. I should feel that Dark Souls thing of like, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. And like I said, I did for a lot of the game. And the longer it went on, that just that just dissipated more and more and more until it was like, okay, I just like sort of don't care. I think that hardcore mode can be fun as like a second play. Definitely as a new game plus thing. It's clearly very good. I think I do like them sort of closing the loop on Resident Evil 4 influencing Dark Souls. And then now the new Resident Evil 4 remake being in turn influenced by like the difficulty style and structure of Dark Souls. I like all that, but I just don't think they totally hit it because of this like ammo scarcity shit. It's really frustrating. And the other thing, and I swear this is the last thing, I know I'm monologuing like harder than anyone ever. I'm like fully <laughs> on stage with the footlights blasting <laughs> me and like the pit orchestra is like going up real loud right My now. My man loves the difficulty discourse. I, I really fucking do and I don't know where this came from and I wish I could turn back the clock and change it, but I can't. I'm here. I'm me. Anyway, the point is, the other thing that I didn't like about it was that they they cranked up how many enemies are in every area so much that I think it saps the game of some of its tension, vibe, and atmosphere to the point where I felt like playing hardcore was more like playing mercenaries than it was playing a version of the actual mm. main game. That mm -hmm. started to really bum me out. And when I started the game over on standard and played through that, it was like, you know, opening the window to feel a cool breeze on a nice spring day. Um, so yeah, I think hardcore has issues. I guess that's the TLDR. <laughs> hmm. That's all fair and valid, I think. I'm <laughs> not sure that I feel quite as strongly about it. I'm playing the difficulty that's like, you love RE4, play this. And I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. I'm good. I've played Resident Evil 8. I'm, a f I'm familiar with like how they kind of tier these difficulties now. I go in for that. I love the TMP. I've always been a TMP head. Love mm. that motherfucker. So I'm like, I'll just go TMP pistol. I don't need anything else. If I only have TMP pistol, my ammo pickups will all only be for that. I won't need. I'll be fine. It's fine. Got to that thing. And that encounter is no longer time gated. It's now dependent upon you boarding up the windows one by one which are random drops from enemy. It's just, it's just, it's a tweaked encounter. It's not exactly what I remember. Right. And so I'm going into it without the weapon that they clearly want you to have for when you're just overwhelmed, which is the shotgun. Right. And like that sucked. Yeah. But that wasn't, you know, like I struggled more in the early game because my mindset was still, well, you can use any gun you want. You yeah. can go into almost any section of this game with any gun. And, you know, there's some there's some, you know, exceptions here and there. Like, you know, you go to the castle. Maybe you want the Punisher because the, there's in the original game, there's tons of dudes with the shields. So yeah. you want to have the gun that will just blast through that shield and, you know, you won't get slowed down as much. But generally, you can just go with whatever fucking gun you want and you'll be fine. I, there's some rifle encounters that may be an exception, but, you know, generally you can do that. This game felt a little more tailored to some of those like weapon suggestions. I mean, 
I, I think that you 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 point out something interesting when you're talking about that encounter where I do feel like hardcore gets a little too restrictive for my taste personally. And I think it's it's a lot of things, right? It's like the balancing of ammo drops and you know the way that they want certain set piece encounters to end or the way that they want you to handle certain bosses. It just didn't really jive like with my play style, I guess. And I think once again, I'm talking about it from a first playthrough perspective because I think I could easily turn around and do it. I'm doing a new game plus on hardcore, which is really different, you know, obviously, because you have all this cool gear and stuff. But I think I could okay. start from zero now and do it a lot better because I kind of like learned how to do it. I just think it's, yeah, yeah it was so start, wild yeah. of them to just be like, start here. <laughs> That was wild. Yeah, I mean, I the I, it was it was restrictive for me too. That's like kind of the the thing, I guess. Um, but I just I like I just did the thing where I had to like kind of meet the game on its terms, which is I think that's kind of where the the differences lie. You know, depending on, like you know that's what decides which side of the yeah. fence you fall on. Is like, do you think that it's like good and fun to have to like meet the game's expectations, or do you think it's like shitty and restrictive that it's like you can't play the way you want to? You got to play the way that we're right. telling you to play. And, you know, that's I don't know which is better. I just know that I eventually realized I couldn't quite approach it the way I wanted because you know I was thinking like, no, I've played Resident Evil Four. Right. I know it's coming. <laughs> I'll be fine with this. I'll be fine with the TMP. I wasn't fucking fine. I should have had every fucking gun they gave me ready to go. So, you know, once I kind of accepted that I wasn't going to be able to do it the way I wanted to do it. um, And like kind of, you know, I had to like dig myself out of like an economy hole because I was like, well, I need a fucking rifle now. I need yeah. one. I know what's coming here. I got to have the fucking rifle or I'll die. Cause like in the early castle, I didn't have one still. I was like handgun in the whole fucking thing, right. which sucked. So, you know, once I accepted that I needed to do things a little differently and on the game's terms, it kind of got a little easier. And, you know, like I said, some of the encounters were a little tough, but I, I found my way through them without ever feeling like I was locked out of finishing the game. Right. Which is, I'm assuming, I, you know, that's a, a evocative of the name hardcore to me. So, yeah, uh, I'm kind of OK with where it's at. I do think that the whole like, no, you've played it. Start here. Like that was that was not, wild. No, that was that was absolutely uncalled for. <laughs> Shouldn't have done it that I way. I guess to me, it was a little disappointing because I and I, I like it. Like I said, a lot of the game, I really enjoyed playing a hardcore. I'm enjoying the new game plus of it. I'm definitely going to go back and do it at some point just from zero. I think it's cool. It's a cool idea. I just wish that it let you experiment a little more and have a little bit more fun. You know, like it was just a little eased mm -hmm. off of some of the restrictions. And I also do feel that like, like I said, I think the increased number of enemies is something that I'm never going to fully get behind just because I do like that yeah. negative space. And I think that on a basic design level, especially on the standard mode, so much of the game has been revamped to have more of that negative space. So, like, there's a great scene in a prison that you can sneak through uh, technically without fighting the enemy. Um, you know, there's a couple areas that mm -hmm. you can run or sneak through, and 
Things like that are just so cool, not just because they remind me of my favorite game series, Evil Within, but <laughs> also just because like it's such an interesting twist on the original game. And once again, it's just adding more of that vibe, that atmosphere, that tension that builds because of the negative space. And that really is one of my favorite things about the original. And you know, every wow. time I've replayed it, I've just realized more and more not only how important it is to me, but how important it's been to all the games that it's influenced to show that like, yeah, you can do a straight up TBS action movie style game that also has this cool horror element that has this really heavy and, and dark atmosphere. So I do think that anything it takes away from that, it's kind of going to like not totally be my speed personally. I think that's kind of what it came yeah. down to is it just yeah. not being my speed. Okay, hello, it's Ali. I'm back. So, as I mentioned earlier, there's going to be multiple episodes about Resident Evil 4. Uh, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it, and I think the part two is going to be more of like just a freeform discussion. We're going to bring at least one more pal on and just kind of talk about what we thought, highlights, lowlights, not have it as structured as this one around, you know, what's different in the game. So, I figured I'd jump on here and just kind of finish this up solo because um, I only have a couple more things really that I wanted to point out and talk about um, in terms of what's different in this game, what's new, what's interesting to compare and contrast. So one thing I want to talk about is enemies. Um, there are some big differences in how the enemies work in this game. Um, now, you know, big picture, I was actually surprised by how similar they are. Um, in terms of their behavior. Uh, you know, in previous remakes, we've seen that they've added more complexity, more unpredictability to the enemies to try and kind of rattle the player and give you a different experience within this familiar game or this familiar framework. They've done that again here, but in kind of an unexpected way. In terms of the enemy behaviors, it is very similar to the original game. It's just sped up, you know, they're faster, they're more aggressive, you know, they're more likely to get the jump on you mostly because of their numbers as well as the fact that the environments are larger. So there might be someone off in the distance that you can't quite see who gets like a cheap shot on you, et cetera, et cetera. That's the fun of the game. You know, it's Leon against the world, meaning large numbers of enemies. That stuff is all really well done and very, very faithful to the game. Like I said, even the changes to the enemy behaviors, they don't feel like radical changes as much as they feel like retunings in order to, you know, make the style of the original game work within this new framework. Uh, what is quite different, though, is how enemies behave in terms of their transformations, right? So similar to how they added in the Crimson Heads to the original Resident Evil remake, this one restructures how enemies, you know, change and evolve over the course of the game. And this is great because I do feel like enemy variety was maybe something that the original game was lacking a bit. Um, and this game does quite a bit to inject some more variety into the game. So the biggest and most obvious change that they've made here is that there are now sort of like four different permutations that enemies can go through as you're fighting. So there's normal ganado, which is this game's term for the kind of like cult controlled 
zombies. Um, you know, they're not really zombies. They're quick. Uh, they seem to be pretty smart. They can coordinate and make plans. The game goes out of its way to show you this. And fighting large hordes of them can be a pretty daunting task. Uh, however, as you go through the game, um, the main upgrade to this basic Ganado enemy is that they get better armor and better weaponry. So in the beginning, you're basically fighting farmers with basic you know, tools and implements. As the game goes on, they get things like body armor, machine guns, crossbows, other weapons that are more difficult to plan around and fight against. That still happens in this game. That's still very cool. Uh, now, in the original game, famously, at a certain point in the game, they would start, you know, kind of randomly transforming as you're fighting them. So some enemies had a certain type of parasite in them where when you get a headshot off, their head would explode. And instead of them dying, it would explode into a crazy tentacle monster. These monsters are fast. They're deadly. They take a lot of bullets to kill. They pose a significant challenge. Um, in the original game, this was super cool. And this was a huge departure for the series, you know, Prior to this, headshots had been something that you always wanted to land, um, and especially with this game's, you know, added uh, layer of complexity to the controls and aiming, now you could just be like headshotting dudes all the time. But because that's now so much easier, they decided to throw in this stumbling block um, and this way to make the game more difficult, which is that sometimes headshots are not a good thing. Like sometimes you are going to end up making things harder for yourself, and you're going to encounter this more difficult enemy. Just like the Crimson Heads, it was a really unexpected twist. It was really cool, completely changed the way that you were interacting with the game. Uh, now, in this remake, they've actually added more layers to that mechanic. Once again, I think to keep it fresh, to add some complexity, and to keep players on their toes. So now there's like two extra phases that enemies can go through. The first one is basically between a Ganado and a Tentacle Head enemy. Uh, there's now this like middle phase where they're sort of just like fast zombies. They're quicker, they're more aggressive, they're really creepy looking, their heads like turn sideways and they're all like weird looking. It's, it's very strange, but it's really, really cool. Um, you can also stop this transformation by running up to the enemy as they're, you know, kind of convulsing on the ground and hitting the knife prompt. So once again, there's an added layer of strategy here. You also sometimes will get multiple prompts when you're going to a downed enemy. So there might be like a melee and a knife prompt. And, you know, you can sort of make little strategic decisions as you're maneuvering through a very like dense and intense combat encounter. This is really cool. I really like this added layer. It also means that the game is more intense from the jump. Because, you know, in the original, there was a decent chunk of the game where you didn't have an enemy transformation to worry about and you could just like engage with the game normally. And then they throw in that tentacle head ship. In this game, like right from the start, there is an escalation and there is a more powerful enemy you can encounter. So the game has this extra added layer of tension and difficulty right from the jump. And I love it. I think it's great. There's also now a more powerful tentacle head enemy. Um, they're bigger, they're freakier looking, they're harder to kill, and they can also one hit kill you if you let them get close to you. Um, now you can parry this one hit kill, but it doesn't change the fact that these enemies are very deadly and you have to watch out for them. I think this is also really cool. It's once again, another way to add more enemy variety and to ratchet up the tension in these enemy encounters. 
um, as the game goes along. So it's not just that the enemies are suddenly wearing bulletproof vests and carrying machine guns. There's also all these different layers to how they may or may not transform that you have to worry about. I think this is great. Once again, it really harks back to, you know, the addition of the Crimson Heads to the Resident Evil remake. I really love it when they add this stuff into the Resident Evil remakes. Um, it really keeps it fresh for returning players, and it also helps to give this game an identity of its own when compared to the original game. Speaking of comparisons to the original game, one thing that I found really, really fascinating to kind of compare and contrast as I was playing the game uh, is the way that they've changed the set pieces in this game. Because there isn't really one singular way they've done this. It's more of a mixed bag, especially if you consider bosses as set pieces, which I don't always, but there is a lot of crossover here. And so I just kind of want to talk about this whole topic holistically. So Resident Evil 4 is famous for its set pieces. I spent a long time in that solo episode talking about the opening fight in the village. You know, great, amazing set piece. And I mentioned some of the others in the game. It's one of the things that really gives the game its identity and made it stand out at the time and continues to make it stand out to this day. Uh, Resident Evil 4, the structure of it in the original was largely built around kind of moving you from set piece to set piece. There's definitely some downtime. There are some simpler areas where you just do a bit of combat and a bit of exploration, but it's always kind of moving you towards the next set piece. A lot of these set pieces are more or less combat arenas that you know the game will put in an interesting location or throw in some sort of interesting twist to challenge your skills and force you to be more strategic about engaging with said set piece. But ultimately, these end up being the focal points of the game. These are really the most memorable pieces of the game for better or for worse. You know, some of them are definitely infamous and some of them are very, very beloved, but they're all memorable. Especially at the time, you know, kind of like I mentioned in the solo app, the standards for direction in a video game or production value in a video game were not as high as they are today. So to see these set pieces, which were very cinematic and very impressive, um, executed at the skill level and at the scale was really, really striking. And it was definitely, once again, one of the most memorable and noteworthy things about that game. With the Resident Evil 4 remake, a lot of those set pieces have ended up in this game um, unaltered. Uh, you know, there are a surprising amount of set pieces, especially early in the game, that appear just as they were in the original. But many, many, many of the set pieces have also been completely reimagined or just totally changed altogether. This is something that I thought was really, really interesting and really kind of kept me on the edge of my seat in a way while playing this game. I was always just so curious, like what are they going to tackle next and how are they going to do it? I think that the way generally that they handled this was to keep one or two of the biggest and most memorable set pieces per area in the game completely unchanged and to completely reimagine the rest of them. So a good example of this. In the village, the opening is exactly how you remember it, right? 
But as that progresses, you'll see more and more of the you know smaller set pieces have been completely changed. The maps are different, enemy placements are different, the way that you are supposed to approach it and the way that it plays out is once again, completely different. Sometimes maps are backwards, sometimes they're just totally different, the scope and scale of things is massively increased, etc, etc, etc. Now this is contrasted with certain set pieces that are kept exactly the same. And I think a good example of this would be the sort of early boss encounters in the village. These are some of the most memorable and iconic encounters in the game, so it doesn't surprise me that they kept them exactly the same. But like the fight with the lake monster, to me, it feels exactly the same. Uh, the fight with the giant the first time when there's only one, once again, exactly the same, even down to being able to save the wolf earlier and then have them come and assist you in that fight. These things haven't been changed. However, so many of the smaller fights and set pieces have been completely reimagined, and I think that's really, really cool. I think generally that approach works very, very well in this game. It means that you get that familiarity, you get that rush of nostalgia that's always kind of fun to experience, but you're also playing something that's super engaging and intriguing because you don't actually know what's coming next, even if you've played the original game over and over and over. I really, really like how they approach this in the castle section. I think this might be the most different area from the original game. And I can chalk some of that up to like design and aesthetics. The fact that there is like a much stronger atmosphere and vibe here. I mean, there's fog and strobe lights more or less. I mean, the whole place just has like such a crazy ominous vibe, but it did feel really different to me. And I think some of that is down to them also changing at a nuts and bolts level some of the most memorable set pieces. So once again, some things are exactly the same. There's still a pretty much identical set piece um, where you have to snipe enemies out of the way so Ashley can go and complete this kind of like uh, wheel turning puzzle or, or whatever. I mean, I think everyone probably remembers that from the original game. It's a really frustrating segment. It's here now, again, it is still pretty frustrating, but it's also cool. It's an iconic part of the game, something that I'm glad that they kept in. However, that area also has quite a different design and a very different feel to it, despite you know having an identical premise to the original game. Now, there are other things that they've just cut slash completely reimagined. So for example, there's one room that's pretty infamous where there's like um, one of the monk enemies who's sitting at a big turret and he's shooting at you and he's like spinning around in a circle shooting and you have to figure out how to like defeat a bunch of other enemies and then take him down in order to get through this room. That doesn't appear in this game. However, there's a really similar room or a couple of rooms that felt sort of similar where there are now these like red robed monk enemies that are kind of these like priests or clerics and they now have the power to like forcibly change normal Ganado monk enemies into the tentacle head enemies and sometimes the like super tentacle head enemies. These rooms are so cool. They really highlight the differences in this game from the original, not just in like a design sense, but also in a real nuts and bolts gameplay strategy sense. Like suddenly you're in this scenario that's really crazy. It's really fucked up and scary and you really need to stay on your toes 
and have a good strategy down for dealing with these enemies. Like either taking out the red robe guy as fast as you can or having a ton of flash grenades so you can just clear the room as quickly as you can, etc., etc. These set pieces are really cool to me because they're fresh, they're new, there's something that's not in the original game, and they also highlight all of the new things that they've put into this game. They challenge you to learn the new mechanics, to develop new strategies, and really, really engage with the new features in this game. Like, this is distinctly a game that you cannot play in the same way as the original. Or at least, like, if you do, you're probably going to die a lot and be very, very frustrated. And personally, I think that's really cool. I'm totally, totally in support of that. And yeah, the castle section, which has always been a favorite area of mine in Resident Evil 4, is now like definitely my favorite area in this game. It's so cool. I love what they've done with it. So overall, the Resident Evil 4 remake really is like an almost perfect mix of things being changed and reimagined and things that have been just brought over wholesale from the original game. However, there's one area that I kind of wish they had changed more and, and not been so faithful either to the original game or to the vibe of the original game. And that is the boss encounters. So this is kind of a linked conversation or topic, I think, because I consider the boss encounters to be a different kind of set piece. However, I much prefer the like non-boss encounter set pieces in both versions of the game to the actual boss encounters. And I mean, this isn't, well, this is a hot take, but <laughs> it's not an unexpected hot take if you've been listening to the show. I've been saying since the very first episode that I don't really like boss fights in games that aren't completely and wholly designed around them. So like treasure, uh, their games always have amazing boss fights, but their games are largely just glorified boss rushes or like FromSoft. Their games are designed around the bosses being the focal point of the game. Those boss fights are super important. Um, so of course they're great. I think in horror games, survival horror games, specifically Resident Evil games, I've never thought that the boss fights in any of these types of games are very good. They always feel like kind of an afterthought. They're not very well integrated into the game and they're usually either frustrating because of difficulty or frustrating because they make you engage with the game in a completely different way than you've been engaging with it for the entirety of the rest of the game, right? This is why those previous companies that I mentioned do boss fights so well because like you engage with the bosses in the exact same way that you engage with the rest of the game. It's just a much more difficult and amplified version of the base game. You don't have to completely change the way you approach the game. You're still doing the same shit. In horror games, survival horror games, generally that's not the case. It's like a completely different type of encounter and that can be kind of frustrating to like change gears so suddenly. The best example of this is probably like in Resident Evil 5, right? Which I know it's like a real cheap shot to bring up Resident Evil 5, but like that game loves to like wrench you out of some pretty basic Resident Evil 4 style gameplay, put you behind a turret and force you to do like a shooting mini game with a turret. It's like, come on, man. 
In the original Resident Evil 4, there is a bit of that feel. You know, obviously something like the lake monster or the giant forces you to engage with something that you've never engaged with in a way that you haven't yet in the game. However, I think when these encounters are more cinematic and more meant to be these kind of like visually stunning set pieces that have a nice flow to them, it works well. Like I like the fight with the giant. I usually like the lake monster. Sometimes if you get off on the wrong foot, it can be really annoying. Um, but generally I like these encounters. I don't have any problem with them. Once you get a little bit deeper into the game, the bosses can become a lot more hokey, annoying, and frustrating. And I'll say this, I don't think the remake necessarily got this wrong, um, and I don't necessarily think the original game got this right either. I think that with the original game, I've just developed a tolerance to it, and my expectations are set. Like, I know this thing is coming up, so it's like, okay, whatever, let's do it. In the remake, not knowing what was going to happen and not knowing what to expect, I found a lot of the big boss encounters underwhelming because they were just kind of annoying and sort of hokey. I think that like the village chief fight, for example, is such a like 2004 ass boss fight that it was just kind of annoying um, having done it like three times now. I just like it less and less each time. Uh, I just don't think it's a very good boss fight. It's not interesting on the higher difficulties. It is annoying because of the amount of damage you have to do. And, you know, the longer that fight dragged on because of that, the less interest I had in it. I just kind of stopped caring. And I ended up having a hard time with that fight because it just like didn't really hold my interest. The next big fight that you do after that, I think, is even more egregious in this way. It's the um, Salazar fight, of course. You know, I get what they were going for with this fight because it's kind of reminiscent of the big lady boss fight in Resident Evil 8 where you're in the church and she morphs into that giant monster. Like, it's this huge monstrous enemy that you're trying to keep track of and fight in this cool, ornate environment. However, I don't know, Salazar is just so annoying. It's such an obnoxious boss fight. It goes on for so long on hardcore, or it can go on for so long if you don't play your cards right. And I just didn't find it to be fun. I just found it to be an annoyance. And like I said, considering that this is a game I've already played through like three times, I wanna just keep playing it because I like it so much. It's a bummer that every time I get to a boss, it kinda just feels like a stumbling block. It kind of just feels like hitting the wall a little bit. And I always have that moment of like, do I really want to do this again? Or do I just kind of want to stop playing? And that's something that I think is bad. <laughs> that's bad in a game like this that, like I said, is to me notable for many reasons, but mostly because of how fun it is to play and replay and how much I enjoy replaying it. So it kind of sucks that there's this big section of or segment of it, I should say, which are these boss encounters that I find to just kind of be obnoxious. Um, I don't think they're that good. Uh, and yeah, in the remake, I think it was a little underwhelming to see that they haven't really reimagined them that much. I will say I thought the Krauser fight was pretty cool. I like how they reimagined that. I think 
having it be, you know, initially just like a knife fight that works really well with the game's new kind of like contextual motion controls. And then later having it be a fight that mixes close quarters combat with just the standard like gunfight gameplay that you're used to was also really cool. I really appreciated that. I thought it had like the right difficulty balance for that fight and I generally had a good time with it you know like I'm not in love with it but I was like yeah this is cool like I would like to see more of this but I mean that said I think this is kind of how I felt about every Resident Evil remake where like there's at least one or two bosses that I think they do a really good job with and the rest of them I think are like hokey and annoying and sort of dumb. It feels like they really tried to keep it the same but they were forced to update certain things and you're left with this weird hodgepodge of like yeah this does feel like it's straight out of the late 90s or early 2000s but also it's clearly not. You know like I felt the same way about like Mr. X and the Resident Evil 2 remake or you know, most of the boss fights in the Resident Evil 3 remake, Resident Evil 3 remake kind of suggested a path forward with like the boss fights feeling a little more tactical and having a little bit more of like a Dark Souls feel to them. But it doesn't necessarily really deliver upon that, especially near the end of the game where it just feels like you're playing a weird mini game. I don't know. I this once again, it's, it's hard to talk about this because it's not a big issue. I don't really care that much because at this point, I just don't expect a Resident Evil game to have good boss fights. But these games are just getting to the point where they're like so fucking good and they're so engaging and they're so like good on that kind of basic skill challenge level that I'm like, OK, it's time for you guys to figure out how to do fun, engaging boss fights that don't feel hokey or dated like it's time, guys. And Resident Evil 8 was a pretty damn good start. I think the bosses in Resident Evil 8 are good. I generally liked them. They're like right on the edge of making a Resident Evil game with just fucking killer boss fights. You know, they're just knocking on the fucking door, but they just need to commit and walk through. So Resident Evil 9, maybe? Resident Evil 9, is it time? But yeah, that's... That's just something I wanted to throw out there. Like I said, it's not actually that big of a deal because I don't expect these games to have great boss fights, but like they're close. They're so damn close. And I think that similar to how in the original game, like the moment to moment kind of in-game storytelling clashed really hard with the hokey, bad um, cinematic storytelling. I think in this game, like the insanely high quality of the non-boss fight set pieces kind of makes the boss fight set pieces look a little dumb in comparison. I mean, like just even in the castle, like the fact that there are so many amazing set pieces, like when you're first going in and you're dodging and destroying all those cannons or like that room where there's the red robe cleric and you're kind of sneaking around killing guys and trying to take him out before he, you know, does too much damage to you. Like these are such cool areas, such cool set pieces. Um, they use stealth and they use all the knowledge you've gained in the game and they use all the weapons you've accrued to like give you this amazing experience. And then you get to the boss and it's just not really like that. Like it just feels kind of dumb in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like what the game does well are those like long enemy filled set piece rooms, not so much the boss fights. But anyway, let's move on. Let's end with something positive. Um, because I do love this game and I think it's fucking great. Like I said, I'm on my third playthrough. 
still having a blast, still really enjoying the game. Um, I'm definitely getting to that level where like I'm listening to podcasts while I play it because I just am like it's become such a like background thing for me, but like I still love it and I'm having a great time. So I want to talk a little bit about the updated visuals um, and the visual and aesthetic design of this game. I'm sure this is something that's going to come up when we talk more in the next episode, but I did want to just drop in here and say like, I feel like the reason that it didn't really come up yet or that we didn't spend a lot of time on it, if any, is because it's just so fucking good. Like, I think they just nailed it to such a degree that I don't really know what to say about it. Um, <laughs> the game is beautiful, obviously in a technical sense, it's stunning because these games always are. But even in a design sense, I feel like they absolutely nailed perfectly what a modern take on Resident Evil 4 should be. It looks exactly like what I imagined in my head. You know, if it's like, oh, they're going to do a remake, it's going to look like this. You know, it has a similar vibe and aesthetic to Resident Evil 8, obviously, because 8 was hugely influenced by the original 4. Um, but I think that the things that they've brought over from the original game not only give it a unique style, but also make it very, very visually appealing. So it's a lot more colorful and it's a bit more cartoony, like both in the character designs and the environment designs and the color palette. Like all these things have a little bit more of a cartoony, colorful pop to them, which is really, really nice. They've also played this up with some of the added atmospheric effects. So, you know, the lighting is much more dark and dramatic now. There's fog that rolls in at random moments. There's tons and tons of environmental detail. Like there's a few save rooms that really reminded me that like, oh yeah, we are kind of post Resident Evil 8 and we can expect this level of detail in things like items on shelves and like little details in woodworking and stuff like that. And it's just, it's so cool. And it's really satisfying, you know, because for a lot of us, we're returning to this game. After almost 20 years, we're getting a chance to go back and return to it and play around in this world. And so to see it rendered with that amount of excruciating detail is really, really cool. It's like what we all imagined and hoped for at the time that the original game came out, but now we're finally getting to do it. And yeah, I, I think they just nailed it. And you know, it kind of goes into everything, just like how the storytelling is better, the direction and the cutscenes is better. And you know, that moment to moment gameplay storytelling stuff is fantastic because of this, you know, added attention to detail, these great aesthetic touches that they've added. Like, I think they just nailed it. Like, I don't really know how much more I can even say about it. They just did a great job. They did a great modern interpretation of Resident Evil 4 that's still very faithful to the original, that still gives you the same vibe. And I think that's kind of where I landed on it ultimately is like what I love about it so much is that someone coming to it for the first time or the 50th time is going to sort of get that Resident Evil 4 experience no matter what. You're going to get an experience that is inherently true to what makes RE4 itself and what makes it unique and cool. And that's what I think they nailed the most and that's what I love the most about this game. Like I have my complaints, I have my things that I didn't think were amazing, I have my things that I wish they had spent more time on or changed in certain ways that, you know, a lot of people are going to disagree with me on, obviously, because like, why wouldn't they? But ultimately, 
This game kicks ass. It's really awesome. I think spending all this time talking about the differences, it mostly for me just highlights how much I love this game because I find this to be fun and entertaining. Like, I think it's really fun to see what they've changed, you know, what's different, just because I think the original is amazing and I love this game so fucking much. It's the fucking best. So yeah, uh, as I said, I'll see you guys soon. We're definitely going to do another discussion kind of episode about this game. Have some more thoughts for you. I'm still playing it. I still need to check out Mercenaries. There's definitely still stuff for me to do. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys are also having fun playing this game and enjoying our coverage of it. And yeah, see you in the next one. Bye-bye.